May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Amen. There are three words or actions this morning that Jesus speaks after he settles into his new home in Capernaum. I always think of this scene, at least as I prepared for my sermon, is that that time after I graduated from college and was all of a sudden ready to take on the world. Do you remember those times? Maybe it was high school. But I remember the first time that I went out on my own and I was responsible for my own self. I had to get a place to live, an apartment, and I moved and I was trying to be independent all by myself at the ripe age of maybe 22. Well, that's what Jesus is doing here. Matthew is trying to say that Jesus moved out of his parents' house. He had his education, and he moved about 50 miles north to Capernaum. No longer in Jerusalem or Bethlehem. He was out on his own. He was all grown up. And Matthew ties the location of Jesus' new home to remind us that this is a Jew. He is planted right in the middle of Zebulun and Naphtali right in the two tribes to fulfill the words of the prophet Isaiah that you heard in the first reading. And from that moment on, three things cause great hope for us. And I'm going to tell you about the hope that we see in just a minute. But first, we need to talk a little bit more about the other side of the hope. I want to talk to you this morning just a little bit about repentance. Jesus says in our text, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, that word is a funny word because in our North American context, repentance probably means something different to us than it did to the first century Christians who heard that word. And while we perhaps will never know for sure, we do know that repentance seems to mean something negative in our North American context. You probably hear the word repentance and you think of somebody who is akin to a preacher standing before you with fire, evangelistic breathing and spewing hellfire and brimstone and damnation as a form of fear-based evangelism. If you don't get it right, you're going to burn in hell. This style of evangelism only accuses us of our shortcomings and sins and it beats us over the head with the threat of law. And the law never transforms our lives. It is grace that transforms our life. And yet we know we need a balance in our relationship with God and a balance between God's law and God's grace. We need them both to comprehend the work of Jesus Christ. And depending upon the degree to which repentance is shouted at us, it might convey negative associations with a loving God. Because consider the very next expression in the text. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then we, the words expressed by Jesus at the beginning of his ministry in Matthew's gospel is his call to follow me. Three different actions. Follow me, he says to Andrew and Simon as they're fishing. We talked a lot about last week. These aren't sophisticated people. They're everyday fishermen who made their living with their hands, not their minds and brains. And so Andrew and Simon drop everything they have and they follow. Their wife, their children, 
their community, their occupation, their friends, it's all implied that they fall by the wayside as Andrew and Simon immediately follow Jesus. And so in every age that has followed since, those who follow Christ have been charged with the immediacy of dropping everything to follow him. Who among us this morning has dropped everything? Can I see your hand? Family? The love you shared with your partner or spouse? Relationships with others? Your career? Your livelihood? Have you dropped everything to simply follow Jesus? No hands. I'm not surprised. So I ask you, is this the essence of Jesus' ministry? Demanding us to such total upheaval of everything of which our lives are wrapped around. And if this is what it means to follow Jesus, it's disturbing because hardly any of us are like Andrew and Simon. And if Jesus' and whole ministry is preaching can be summarized in the phrase like repent or the kingdom of heaven has come near and follow me, it seems as though Jesus is too demanding a person who is just trying to establish a religion based upon negativity and the law. And if that's so, why have so few people responded over the centuries to the proclamation of the gospel? Our English language and common vernacular can betray us with a deep theological word like repent which simply means to turn around. And not turning around from sin and guilt over sin. Because I think this is not even something you and I are capable of doing. Paul talks about it so eloquently there in 1 Corinthians that it is the power of the cross, not you. It is God's power to face sin and death. To repent means that we are powerless We are helpless in the face of sin. We are as helpless as an infant at a baptismal font who has no decision or choice in the matter. We cannot on our own resolve to do anything to repent outside the mercy of God. Taking a stand for Jesus means that we become like powerless children. Remember in Luke's gospel, that tax collector beating his chest and crying out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's not our willpower or any of our personal power, but it is our helplessness, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. It is in our helplessness that we find strength over sin and repentance. That's counterintuitive. Because on one hand, Jesus' ministry is all about the downtrodden, helping the the downtrodden ones, the sick, the dying ones, the outcasts, the losers. But in the other, Jesus becomes an encounter with the super-duper experts, the Pharisees, the people who are the strong ones. Sisters and brothers, no one who is smug with their own self can repent. That's not how this works. The only ones who can truly repent are the helpless, the lost, those who admit it their weakness to sin. The hope and repentance is that the power of turning in a new direction will emerge for you when you can acknowledge your own constraints without becoming a victim to your sin. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. Do you hear Jesus' statement as a hope or as a threat? Maybe we could think of these words as a person facing surgery. 
something that you yourself might be able to relate to, perhaps a person who has a tumor and needs it to be surgically removed. And upon coming back from the operation, the person hears, it's not malignant. You're going to be okay. Imagine yourself in that position. How do you feel? Relieved? A sense of joy? Amidst all the fears and despairs, the promise of the kingdom of God provides hope that something better is yet to come. At last, no more tears, no more pain, no more surgeries, no more agony. And then the invitation to follow me happens. We know that there will be a price to pay if you follow Jesus. You know in your own heart of hearts that price that you have paid. It's not always easy dropping everything to follow Jesus, and discipleship in Christ isn't all fun and games. True discipleship is costly. After all, discipleship and discipline go hand in hand. And yet there is this great hope that following Jesus offers. The hope is always greater than the cost. Whatever your hope is, Otherwise, you wouldn't show up, and you wouldn't participate, and you wouldn't believe. The hope is always greater than the cost of following Jesus. This is a pattern that's repeated throughout the entire Bible. God took somebody like Moses, who murdered somebody and had a speech impediment. And through Moses' leadership, he led his people through the promised land. God even used somebody who suffered depression an Israelite prophet named Jeremiah who walked through the city in dirty underwear. Because this disease he had, depression caused him not to think straight. And God used him. God even used a prophet by the name of Jonah, who even jumped a damn ship to get out of God's way. He was stubborn, but God used him. And God used ordinary people like the disciples, these fishermen, and use them to accomplish God's mission. So if God could do that with those, is he not big enough and able enough to take whatever talents you and I bring to the table and use them too? Because like every other biblical person, the disciples all had their shortcomings. They would fail in discipleship. They abandoned Jesus at the very moment that Jesus needed them most at the cross. They did not believe the women at the first report of the resurrection. And similarly, Paul, a murderer and persecutor of the church, failed in his faith in so many ways. The point here is that repentance offers great hope. As painful as it is to admit our failures, over and over again, repent. Discover your helplessness and realize that God is coming in our midst. Over and over again, hear the words, follow me. It'll be okay. Because it all began in our baptism, as it is with Jesus, so it is with us. Baptized with water, Jesus heard the word of God descend and receive the spirit of God. And so are we. Follow me. Amen.